This is History West Midlands. Rarely visited and unknown to most of the citizens of Birmingham, atop the iconic Library of Birmingham sits one of the world's great cultural collections, the Shakespeare Memorial Library. Containing more than 40,000 volumes, including a rare first folio of the Bard's works, this was once the envy of every other great world city. It was, and is, a spectacular example of the vibrant civic life of Victorian Birmingham, created by leaders such as George Dawson, the now largely forgotten philosopher of the civic gospel, who passionately believed that free access to knowledge and education was the right of each and every citizen. Owned now, as then, by the people of Birmingham, plans are being made to reawaken the world's first great popular collection of Shakespeare's work. To find out more about these plans and the collection, History West Midlands publisher Mike Gibbs talked to Professor Ewan Fernie, Chair of Shakespeare Studies at the University of Birmingham's Shakespeare Institute. Ewan, you have often said as a Shakespeare scholar that one of the greatest libraries of Shakespeare is here in Birmingham. It is, yeah. Why? People don't naturally associate Shakespeare with Birmingham anymore. But in the 19th century, when the Shakespeare Library was founded, it was founded in 1868, Birmingham was the capital of Warwickshire, which was Shakespeare's county, and it made perfect sense to make a claim for a serious relationship between Warwickshire's great town and its world-beating poet. That's part of the reason. I think what's almost more interesting is that Birmingham as a young, a modern city, which was trying to shape a new sense of what metropolitan civilization could and would be, partly took Shakespeare's plays as a model for that. And the Birmingham Shakespeare Library is a testament to that too. So a testament to Shakespeare, but also to a partly Shakespeare-inspired idea of what the modern world could be. And what was that idea of the modern world? I think it was an idea of radical pluralism. Shakespeare's plays don't have a narrator. They dramatise lots of different selves, are all made vividly alive by Shakespeare's talents, contending with each other and cooperating and struggling. And I think for the City Fathers of Birmingham and for George Dawson in particular, that sense of a kind of populace, exciting, dramatic, contested world corresponded to their idea both of what Birmingham was and of what the modern world could and should be. They saw Shakespeare as a great trailblazer for liberalism, for the freedom of all people to make their contribution to the play that we play together. You mentioned George Dawson. Who was he? George Dawson came to Birmingham in 1844 as a young man. He was a radical lecturer, an unconventional preacher, and he was the visionary behind the foundation of the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library. How central then was Shakespeare to the ideal of civic government in Birmingham? Extraordinarily so, really. Shakespeare in Victorian culture 
did have a sort of amazing importance. The American thinker Ralph Waldo Emerson said that Shakespeare wrote the text of modern life. It's quite surprising to us to hear. And that's maybe why Birmingham felt it. Birmingham was a great modern city. And if Shakespeare wrote the text of modern life, then there was a interesting correspondence. But in Birmingham, the Shakespeare Library was founded right at the heart of things, you know, by the town hall, by the council chamber. It was important to the city fathers of Birmingham that Shakespeare was kind of part of Birmingham's developing sort of active constitution. And Birmingham had its own Our Shakespeare Club. And you maybe hear a little bit of Brummy assertion in that Our Shakespeare Club. I mean, I think they knew they were making an extraordinary claim for Shakespeare. They knew that metropolitan culture, London culture might claim Shakespeare. They knew that Shakespeare was from Stratford, but they also knew that Birmingham, as the great town of Warwickshire, had a claim to Shakespeare. And they said, we claim perhaps a higher morality for Shakespeare than has ever been claimed before. And what they meant by that was that they really felt that Shakespeare could be part of liberal life now, that the kind of life Shakespeare gave to not just his major characters, but even to his minor characters was the kind of, gave a kind of image of a Birmingham ethos of encouraging the little man, of seeing the value um, in male and female characters, of seeing life as a kind of cooperative thing within the new modern city. George Dawson also said, as the life president, I should say, of our Shakespeare Club, they wouldn't let him retire even when he wanted to, (laughs) that Shakespeare had taught people in Birmingham to make toleration a temper instead of a principle. And it's a typical sort of Dawsonian remark, really, showing his seriousness and earnestness and his intelligence. Because what he means there is that tolerance is a principle of the Liberal Party, of one party. But what Dawson wants is a kind of liberalism that goes beyond party politics. So he says, not a principle but a temper, that Shakespeare's a kind of coarse intolerance. And he's a coarse intolerance because he's so interested in all of his characters, in everybody. And that's what Dawson thought he'd brought to Birmingham. And that's what Dawson promulgated in Birmingham. And Dawson didn't think that there were secrets of state that should be kept from the people. He felt that there was a great truth that everybody's involved in life and should be. And he felt that Shakespeare proclaimed that truth and therefore he wanted to give Shakespeare it away and to encourage everybody to get stuck into local life and indeed government. And what was the library? Was it a building? Because clearly it doesn't exist today. It was a building but it was also a response to the Shakespeare tercentenary, the 300th anniversary of Shakespeare's birth in 1864. There was great desire to celebrate that, to make the most of it, to celebrate Shakespeare as an English poet, as a great English genius, and Birmingham wanted a part of that. And then there was some discussion about what form that memorial should take. An obvious thing might have been to erect a statue, but George Dawson and others said quite explicitly, we don't want a statue. We don't want a dead stone effigy. What we want is to create a living monument to Shakespeare. And they wanted to gather together all of Shakespeare's plays, all of the additions, all the criticism, everything they could, really. And they wanted that to stand for the high regard in which Birmingham held Shakespeare, but they also wanted to give 
those great cultural treasures away to the people of Birmingham. Dawson was somebody who said that the time of private holdings of great works of art was about to come to an end. We were going to acquire great pictures and great texts and give them away to people. That was their proper station. That's who they really belonged to. And so it was a radical political gesture as well. Dawson and Birmingham wanted a Shakespeare monument for the people and they wanted a Shakespeare monument that would indicate to the world that in Birmingham, Shakespeare wasn't heritage to be preserved so much as a living stimulus to a new kind of life. And that's, I think, a really exciting thing. Where was the library? Well, it was bang in the middle of Birmingham. It was in what was called Ratcliffe Place, which we now know as Chamberlain Square. So it was in the civic heart of Birmingham. And in fact, those involved in the making of that great collection and the housing of it wanted it to be so splendid a building that it would not just rival, but actually exceed in magnificence the new council house. And that tells you something, because what they were saying was, it's not just some pretty treasury, which is sort of apart from the business of running the city. They were saying, we want it in the middle of the city, and we want to make it clear that for us, it matters more than anything to the life of this city. It matters politically as well as culturally but mattered to the city fathers, the city leaders. What about the people who were living in not great circumstances, working in Birmingham's manufactories? Well, the intention was absolutely to give it to them too. And, you know, as is always the case with these things, you know, there was a bit of sliding between theory and practice and, when a very famous German Shakespeare scholar in Germany was the great place that might surprise us to hear it for Shakespeare scholarship in those days, somebody called Professor Delius came to Birmingham to visit the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library, and that gives you a sense of its international significance. But there was a letter, I've seen it in the paper, complaining that this great German visiting dignitary was treated much better by the librarians than the ordinary Birmingham working man who also wanted to use what was founded as his library, their library. And we could say, well, it shows that it was still the old pecking order. But I think it's important to recognise there that this was a city in which you could, as a working man, write to the paper and say, hang on a minute, we don't want the fancy German professor to be treated any better than we are. So they felt that it was theirs and that they could protest if it was kept from them. They felt it was theirs, Mm. was it? There aren't records, as far as I know, for the usage of books within the Shakespeare Library as such, but there are records for the larger reference collections, and I've looked at those, and they make very moving reading because all of the great trades of Birmingham are recorded. The borrowers are noted down by profession, so... You know, you'll get a pearl worker in 1891 or hairdressers or gun makers or flint glass blowers or, and there they are recorded for posterity as users of these great cultural collections and indeed of what was the first great Shakespeare collection here in Birmingham. That's all too forgotten, but the Brummies of the time were proud that to Birmingham, the great credit of establishing the first great Shakespeare collection in the world belonged. But to my mind, what's even more to Birmingham's credit is that it established that collection for everybody. 
You didn't have to be a graduate. You didn't have to have a university ID card. You didn't have to have a relative from Stratford-upon-Avon. You, you know, if you lived in Birmingham, it was yours. And it included a first folio, the most famous book after the Bible in the world. That is the Birmingham first folio. To this day, it belongs to me and to you and to every Polish builder and to every Muslim in Sparkbrook. And that's not enough known. And is that unique? It is. There's nothing quite like it. It falls in with a great programme of the Birmingham activist and preacher and lecturer, founder of the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library, George Dawson, who believed that the time has come to give everything to everybody. That was the Birmingham way and the great testimony to it is the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library. And... The library had a chequered history. Did it not burn down? It did, yes, like all great Shakespeare (laughs) facilities, like the Globe Theatre too. Uh, It did, and of course that was a terrible tragedy given what an important cultural achievement it was. It was 1879. So not long after it was founded and some priceless books were lost, but though I hesitate to say so, it is also true that in a way it was the making of the collection because there was such a powerful national and international response. The losses were quickly, I mean, there were some irrevocable losses, but the collection grew much larger than it had been before the fire very quickly and donations poured in from Germany and elsewhere. And so this Birmingham collection was known and revered across the world. So to that extent, Shakespeare was a Birmingham playwright. At that time. And how did the people of Birmingham react when the fire took place? It was seen as a great tragedy. The mayor famously went into the fire calling for the rescue of its books. The mayor who received the gift of the Shakespeare Memorial Library on behalf of the corporation proclaimed it as a great achievement of the corporation, and one that established its character, its commitment to culture for all. Dawson said that great painting and great literature should be available like sunshine to everybody. And what did Dawson think the average working man could get out of Shakespeare? Before the establishment of the Shakespeare Memorial Library, Dawson testified to a library committee in London that working people did read Shakespeare and Charles Dickens' backed him up on that. When Dickens came to Birmingham to read for the first time, it became a great thing of Dickens, and he he was as famous almost for his readings as for his novels, but his first ever reading was in the Birmingham Town Hall, and he insisted that many working men in Birmingham knew Shakespeare and Milton much better than, as he said, your average of fine gentlemen. Dawson was of the same view, And Dawson walked the walk because he spoke about Shakespeare all over the place, to everybody, to anybody who would listen. And, you know, I suppose I have to say he made money out of it too. People would pay, ordinary people, mechanics institutes all over the place, would pay to hear Dawson speak of Shakespeare because it was an exciting thing when a very young Dawson spoke in Manchester about Shakespeare. Half of young Manchester, it was said, turned up. You know, this wasn't just University of the Third Age. This was certainly for older people, but it was for younger people as well. It was about building the new world as much as it was about keeping the best of the old world alive. And Birmingham was 
central or certainly very important in the development of modern education in Britain. How was this belief in Shakespeare reflected in that movement? Dawson also congratulated himself and his friends and co-workers in Birmingham culture for getting Shakespeare onto the curriculum. So it mattered in that basic sense. And I think there's an important point here too, because we tend to think of Shakespeare as elite culture, whereas at this time, Shakespeare, because he writes in English, is accessible to anybody who reads as opposed to Latin and Greek, which is available only to those who have a so-called classical education. So Shakespeare is the great vernacular writer who proclaims the possibility that literature, the best literature, could be available to women and to working men. So there's an intimate link between the desire that education should be free for all and Shakespeare's moving into the centre of the literary canon. It's ironic then now that we think, well, Shakespeare's really only for very educated people. Dawson would not recognise that and he would be disappointed to see it. So this modern concept of Shakespeare being inaccessible, needs to be dumbed down, didn't exist? No. In fact, Dickens called that a coxcomical idea. You know, remembering the fool's coxcomb, he said, that's the stupid idea, the idea that it needs dumbing down. And Dawson insisted that he said, the highest truths are cognizable by all. Anyone can get it. He did think it was important the way in which you addressed people. And he had his own strategy. So he gave a series of lectures in the Midland Institute on what he called mockingly improvers of Shakespeare, which I could do myself out of a job here, by which he frankly met scholars and self-appointed experts. And he wanted to pull down the barriers between people, ordinary people, and Shakespeare. And of course, cheap print was important here. Both Dawson and Dickens said, that's a massive emancipation. You can read Shakespeare in a cheap version. But in the library here in Birmingham, they gave the people the best possible versions, historic texts, not just the cheap print. And they said, these aren't just owned by those who can afford them. They belong to you. They belong to all of us. As time moved on and we entered the 20th century, what happened to the library? The library, until very recently, really, was known internationally as a great repository for Shakespeare criticism and fine editions. And I should also say all sorts of other things. It's not just books. I mean, books are wonderful, but they're often not very alluring to look at. But the Shakespeare Memorial Library is full of really fine printed editions. There's a Salvador Dali version of Macbeth with splendid Dali pictures. There's Jean Cocteau's designs. There's Oscar Kokoschka's King Lear. So there are these great art objects in the library as well. There's an amazing German. I think of it as a kind of pre-digital age Facebook because it's images, the faces of great German Shakespeareans, actors, but also translators and scholars. And and what's particularly lovely about it is it was a tribute to the library for the hospitality that was offered to a German scholar. And he went back to Germany, commissioned a Leipzig metalworker to produce this extraordinary sculpture. The binding is a sculpture in bronze and green leather of the Holy Trinity bust in Stratford-upon-Avon. And this is in the 1880s, so not that long before the First World War. And it's inscribed as a token of thanks for the kind hospitality offered by the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library. So it's a treasure trove. It's an Aladdin's cave. And all of that was there 
in the name of and for the use of the people. It does, however, have to be admitted that that great collection became more and more a scholarly preserve. It was very well looked after by some wonderful subject specialist librarians who were employed by the city of Birmingham to promote Shakespeare and to promote this great collection. But it becomes less and less democratic as time moves on, as I think we start to believe, as you hinted, that Shakespeare really is for the elite. It's for an educated elite. But Dawson and the founders of that facility, were they here today, would really want to challenge that. And where is it now? It is now held by the Library of Birmingham. Many people see some of it. Many people have visited that, to my mind, great and important, iconic new building. And in fact, it is the golden cap that sits atop that extraordinary postmodern building. Within the golden cap, is the Shakespeare Memorial Room, which was designed by J.H. Chamberlain, who designed many of the important buildings in the city, no relation to Joe. But it's there, the Shakespeare Memorial Room at the top of the library. It's wonderful that people go and see it and they get a sense of that association between Birmingham and Shakespeare. What's a bit disappointing is that they tend to think that is the Birmingham Shakespeare Memorial Library, when in fact you couldn't fit a fraction of it in that room anymore. They're, we're talking a collection which has more than 40,000 volumes, that has 2,000 pieces of music, that has 15,000 playbills, that has countless posters and early film from the BBC archive and all sorts of things, extraordinary things, in 93 languages. All of that belongs to Birmingham. Birmingham doesn't really know it. And the world doesn't know that Birmingham holds this trailblazing democratic collection. And what's the vision for the future? To be frank, what has happened to the collection is it has became more of an academic resource and it is a great scholarly resource. But now there is almost no funding for it. It is uncurated for the first time in its history. There is no digital catalogue, none. There's just a bound catalogue. So it's really only there for people who know about it and it cannot be properly advertised or searched. Because it's in 93 languages, I mean, I don't know how many languages are spoken in Birmingham, but very many. And the diverse population of this city could read it, but almost none of those speakers are aware of it. It is there. I think, you know, being eternally optimistic, really, that in a sense, the crisis is an opportunity. Because it's sort of run aground, it's wonderful, it's there, it's being kept, looked after, it's not deteriorating, but it's not accessible, the light's gone out on it. I think it gives us an opportunity to say, okay, what is it? What is it for? It's either one of the very best Shakespeare collections in the world, or it's the first Shakespeare collection in the world and the only one that really is democratically available to and exists in the name of the people as such. And I think the challenge is to try and find the wherewithal and the energy and the vision and the commitment from a range of people to resurrect that original ambition for it, to see if we can remake Shakespeare for today's world in a way that will make it again the most extraordinary Shakespeare collection that the world has. Ewan, thank you very much indeed. And I am sure, like many other people in Birmingham, wish you and your colleagues every success in re-establishing the collection 
as it was meant to be for the people of the city. Thank you, Mike. We'll do what we can. To follow the development of the initiative to revitalise the Shakespeare Memorial Library, register for our regular newsletter at www.historywm.com, where you can also read more about George Dawson, the Shakespeare Memorial Library and the Civic Gospel. You will also enjoy free access to more than 200 films, podcasts, articles and books on the history and heritage of Birmingham. <laughs>